What is going on, my brothers? Spencer Sutton here with another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I'm thankful that you're listening, and I'm thankful that you found this podcast, and I just praise God that, um, man, that you are someone, if you're struggling with pornography, I just uh, praise God that you're actually looking uh, for help. You're actually looking for uh, uh, ways to find um, freedom. Uh, and I'm not talking about freedom that lasts for a week or a month or a few months. I'm talking about freedom that lasts forever for the rest of your life here on earth. And so to that end, I praise God that you're here listening and it's 2022, a lot going on in the world, a lot going on in I'm sure everybody's life. But what I want to do before we kick off into into this podcast, I want to kind of give you a preview of what I'm going to be doing. So I've got, I have got a, what I've done is I've outlined, I've written in tons of material, recorded tons of material that I use when I'm uh, coaching guys through, like these are followers of Christ. I'm coaching them on um, how to achieve freedom from pornography, like gospel-centered, Christ-focused freedom from pornography. And that's, again, the freedom that, that lasts. It's not, it's not based on human methods. It's not based on any of that. It is, it is truly based on the gospel breaking through in your life and giving you 100% freedom. And so I'm excited in the coming months, I'm going to be walking through that, like step by step by step by step. Everything's going to be uh, bathed in scripture and uh, pointing back to Christ. So I hope that you will follow along. I hope that you'll, um, that you would take notes and think about these things because for almost every single lesson, I'm going to, I'm going to also give you things that you can do, like uh, exercises that you can do to actually make it real to you. Uh, because I don't want it just to be about teaching, right? There needs to be a response. So in scripture, you always see revelation and response. And so we're going to open up scripture. We're going to look at it, uh, praying that the Lord reveals certain things to you. And then what is your response going to be? So I'm going to give you some exercises, some things that you can do along the way. So that's coming. And then I'm also going to continue doing these types of podcasts because these are just kind of birthed out of my personal study with, with, uh, in scripture and, and, you know, I'll do these as long as I feel like they're beneficial to, to folks. And, and you can let me know, like literally you could email me Spencer at natural porn killer and tell me what you think you can make suggestions. You can, you know, whatever you want to do brothers, I'll, um, I'm open for suggestions, but no matter what this podcast and any advice that I give you is not going to be based on human tradition or man-made methods or anything like that. We're not looking for help or freedom from man. We're looking from super, we're looking for supernatural power that comes through the gospel that is promised to every child of God. And if you're a true believer, then that's what you are. And it's, it's accessible to you. So let's dig in. So I've been in, in first Samuel, um, I, I started in first and second Thessalonians, but now I wanted to study something else. So we're in first Samuel, we're going to dive in because this is really, really good stuff. And, um, and so let's, let's look at this first Samuel one, I'm going to read some passages and we're going to talk about this. And so 
we've got the story of Hannah who can't have a child. She's got um, her husband, uh, Elkanah, and he loves her very much, but he has children through another woman and she's kind of making fun of, of Hannah and uh, she just feels down and ridiculed. And uh, so they go to they go to the temple to offer their sacrifices. They do this once a year, every year. And so she's there and she's praying. She's calling out to God. And Eli is God's priest at the temple. And, and so he sees her lips moving, but he, he doesn't, she's praying silently. And so he doesn't see, uh, he doesn't know that she's praying. And obviously uh, drunkenness was a, was a big problem in this day, because this is the first thing that Eli thought. And so let's pick it up in chapter one, verse 14. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose up early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. What a beautiful passage, this, this woman who has been struggling, she's been persecuted in her own house, she feels alone, she feels like nobody hears her, nobody understands her, and so what does she do? Well, she calls out to the Lord, and, and I just started thinking when I was reading this, just how mysterious and marvelous this gift of prayer is, right? And yet, and yet, brothers, you listening, like how neglected and dismissed is prayer in our lives? This is what I started thinking about. Like I was, uh, after reading this, after studying this passage, I, start, I, I went on a walk in our neighborhood and I've big, I've started to love walking in the neighborhood just by myself. I don't, sometimes I take headphones. A lot of times I don't, I just use it as a time to pray to God. But I, but when I was walking in the neighborhood, I was really reflecting on how little faith I have in God, which is demonstrated by my little and small prayers. Like, why don't I pray more? Why don't I pray more? And so let me ask you, a question is, because this is a question I was asking mine, myself, is, is your life characterized by prayer? Like, would people who knew you the most consider you someone who prays desperately for the Lord and prays frequently to the Lord? And so when I was walking and thinking about that, I was just like, well, the reason the reason I don't pray more is because I don't realize how desperate I am for God. It's easy for me to see my life on cruise control until it isn't. And then that's when God has to wake me up, right? And show me my desperate condition. He reveals my weaknesses. 
And so when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, I tend, I tend to view prayer as, as a defensive mechanism when things aren't going my way. But what about all the ways God wants our prayers to be used as a weapon, an offensive weapon, right? To have eyes open, like completely open to the reality of what's going on in our lives and in our world and to use prayer as a weapon for the glory and for the, for the glory of God and for uh, our family's own sake. So I was thinking about this and just wanted to ask you, do you pray? Like, what are your prayers like? Because when you look back earlier in passage in the passages, First Samuel 1, like 10 and 11, it says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So essentially she was giving a Nazarite vow, like saying this person, this, this boy will be a Nazarite. Have you made vows to the Lord? I know that when I struggle with pornography, that's definitely one of the things that I did was I made vows to God never to do it again, only to find myself back again, breaking promises to myself, breaking the vows I made to God, because at, at some level, at some level, after I prayed desperately, after I was down in the pit and said, I've got it, God, I've got to have you. And he Obviously, I mean, through the blood of Christ, I have forgiveness of my sins, but in this deep shame and guilt, I was calling out to God and he, he, he gave me some type of victory at some level. And then I started to feel good about myself and I started to feel like, well, I've got this. And maybe I wouldn't verbally say that. Maybe I wouldn't verbally say, oh, no, no, God, I don't need you anymore. But practically, my actions were demonstrating that. I was not calling out to God like we see here. And we further in First Samuel, just talking more about Hannah's prayer, she said when she came back after she had Samuel, she had a child, like God remembered her and gave her this child, Samuel, she came back after after she weaned him, so after he grew up just a little bit, and she came back to Eli, and she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. In other words, she's like, I'm giving him to God. He's, he's completely his, and he worshiped the Lord there. So what is, what is Hannah, what is Hannah showing us about prayer and what can we learn from Hannah about prayer that we need to incorporate when we're calling out to God? Well, I think it's, it's a beautiful picture here because Jesus explains what praying should be like and praying should be like a child calling out to its parents. 
Luke 11 says this, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him fish, instead of fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now in Matthew, the same passage, it's translated, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And I think those two passages, just the word choices, gifts versus the Holy Spirit, I think the greatest gift God can give us is his presence and his spirit to rule us and to guide us and to help us and to comfort us, to lead us, to pray for us. And I love what Tim Chester, who's one of my favorite authors, says about praying. He says, the main image Jesus gives of prayer is a child asking her father for help. And a three-year-old do not ask things in a quiet and contemplative way. They insist, they shout, they clamor, they persist. Of course, there are children who don't cry out anymore. And those are the children's in orphanages that have been neglected to the point where there's an eerie silence that hangs over the dormitories. The point is this. The cry of a child is a cry of faith. It reflects their belief that there is someone out there who hears them and responds to them. Now, of course, children are selfish and often struggle to work out what they want, but it is essentially a cry of faith. And the cry of prayer is a cry of faith. It arises from the belief that God is the Father who is able and willing to answer. So the words able and willing there is just essentially saying that God's powerful enough and loving enough to answer us. He goes on to say, what creates great praying? A deep sense of our need and a deep sense of God's care. And so do my prayers, do your prayers, do our daily lives reflect like that one of two things are going on in our life. This when I stepped back and started thinking about this, I was like, okay, so if I'm not praying, if my life is not characterized by like being full of prayer, and, and I would say, I'm just going to, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say, guys, followers of Christ who are struggling with pornography week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade are not or would not consider themselves men of prayer. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw that out there. And so does this mean one of two things is going on? It probably means one of two things is going on. Number one, you live in comfort and ease as far as the eye can see. And we're good and content to offer the customary prayers of a comfortable Christian. Think about that. What are the customary prayers of a comfortable Christian? Maybe they're mealtime prayers. Thank you, God, for this food. Maybe they're bedtime prayers. God, be with us, be with our family. You know, I pray that everybody has a good day tomorrow. Thankful for my kids. 
maybe their prayers at the church with your small group, with your Bible study that are pretty superficial because you, you know, you not ever confess this struggle that you have. So examining my own heart, like I live in comfort and ease. And so are my prayers like just the prayers of a comfortable Christian customary prayers. This is not the way Hannah was praying. She saw, she knew her desperate need and she was not, she was not praying the customary prayers at the temple. She was in anguish. She says deeply distressed. She wept bitter, bitterly. It was born out of her affliction. So that's number one. I live in comfort and ease. Number two is I live as if I were in an orphanage where my father is absent and he will not hear my cries and is, and, and not answer my calls to him. So either I'm comfortable and arrogant and think I have everything under control or I don't, I don't believe my father listens to me. I don't believe he's going to answer me. Like, how could he answer me? Look at me. Look at how much sin I've fallen into over and over and over again. There's no way he would, he would continue to come and listen to me. Like, I, I act as if I'm in an orphanage where z- nobody has ever attended my cries. Now, this, my brothers, is an identity issue. An identity issue. You don't believe what God says is true about you. And this happens all the time. This happens all the time. So our lack of prayer, our lack of the lack of prayer in our life either stems from pride or identity. Like both of these options are rooted in a lack of humility and understanding of God's true natures, true nature. And so in chapter two, what we're going to look at is Hannah's prayer of praise. And it demonstrated both humility and a deep belief that God can be trusted, that God delights in his children and promises to meet them and comfort them and answer them and fill them with joy beyond their understanding. But this requires something of us, guys. It requires something of us. We have to lift up our heads and open our eyes to the spiritual reality of the world and of our own lives. Like men who will not be honest with themselves about what is truly going on, they would rather stuff it down with sedation, with TV, with social media, with porn, with whatever with work if you will not deal and acknowledge the reality of the brokenness of your life then you'll never pray out in desperation and jesus had to teach this to his disciples so don't think that like this is a brand new thing like jesus was teaching this to his disciples they went they went into the samaritan village to buy food he was ministering to the woman at the well She came to faith in Christ. She ran into the city and brought all these people back to him, to Christ. How many people did the disciples bring back? None, zero, zilch. 
We don't read of any. And so Jesus has to tell them in John 4, 34 and 35, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do, do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So look at those three terms there. Look, lift up your eyes and see. It requires spiritual vision and discernment on our part. And this is like Jesus had this in his earthly ministry. Why? Because Jesus was a praying man. He prayed for the Father's will all of the time. And so his eyes were open to the spiritual realities that were going on in people's lives all of the time. And then God used him to minister to needs. Look at this, Matthew 9, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See that verse 36, that he saw the crowds. He saw them, like he saw them. He didn't ignore them. He saw them. And he said, the answer to, to this brokenness that, that this world is experiencing is pray to the Lord of the harvest. And so as I was writing in my journal, and I'll just share this with you, this is, this is my confession, guys, and I just want to share this with you. I was like, I, I wrote this. I said, do I desire to do your will, O Lord? Then I must look and lift up my eyes and see what is in front of me. Then in seeing the impossible task, the magnitude of the harvest, I must call out earnestly to you because the gathering of souls is entirely in your power, not mine. Not mine. Lord, I am desperate and many times I don't even see it. My eyes are on my bank account, my family's comfort and success at work, at school, at home. As long as these are on point and I can go to the gym and work out, I am self-sufficient. It's what I wrote about myself. And I go on and I say, in, in your grace, allow me to see people the way you do. And as much as Hannah prayed in, prayed in desperation for a child, would you move in me to pray for spiritual growth, spiritual birth and growth in those you have given me. Fill me up with a deep longing for your will and your glory in your ways. I have not because I ask not. So brothers, prayer is hard work. Let's <laughs> not... Let's not, let's not kid ourselves, right? I find studying the word, studying the word comes more natural to me than 
praying for the same amount of time. But it has to change. It needs to change in me. It needs to change in you as well. Probably, unless you, you are telling me, unless you, you have answered the question, no, I am. I, I am. My life is characterized by a life of prayer. I would recommend if you if you don't know who this author is he's he's uh since passed away he's in in heaven right now but he wrote uh a lot of books on prayer um i'm trying to think there's some good ones uh em bounds i believe is his name old old pastor uh, he wrote some great books on prayer andrew murray wrote um with christ in the school of prayer there's more contemporary authors like Tim Keller, uh, the meaning of prayer. No, that's the meaning of marriage. He also had a, has a book on prayer, but let's look at Hannah's prayer. So the Lord granted her a child and then she came, she had made this vow to God. And then, then God said, yes, I'm giving you this child. She came back and gave the child to Eli and said, this is the Lord. This is the Lord's son. Now, like, he will serve the Lord from here forward. And then Hannah went on to have more babies after that. Like she had more children. Lord blessed her even more. But first Samuel in chapter two, we read her prayer. And I'm just going to point some of these things out. And it's not the interesting thing is it's not a prayer that, that any mother typically prays when she's given birth to a child or when she's giving thanks for a child or not any that I've heard of definitely wasn't a prayer that I prayed when I had when Allie and I had our children, she says, there's none holy like you, like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. She goes on later in verse seven to say, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is not the prayer of a hey, thank you, God, for my child. But it's a beautiful, just it's just a prayer of praise to God. Like she, she understands the character and the nature of God. Like the Lord is wholly set apart from any created object, right? That's why she says there is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides him, and he is 100% holy and he's 100% trustworthy. This is what the term rock means. She goes, There is no rock like our God. There's no shifting sand or earth beneath him. He will never be moved. His word and his character are eternal. So the primary question we should ask is, even when things seem bleak and not what we imagine, can God be trusted? Can he be trusted? Well, yes, he can, but, but he won't be trusted by us if we don't give our time and attention and our mind and our heart to his faith resurrecting word. Like if we refuse to spend time with God, to know God through his word, 
to commune with God through prayer, then we will never truly know his character this way. The point of Hannah's prayer is not, isn't focused on her child. It's focused on exalting the Lord who is holy and gracious and takes what is not and makes it something, just like he does with our faith and our works and our witness. We are, we are barren like Hannah, and God intervenes on our behalf. Notice all the times that the Lord does something that she calls out in her prayer. He makes, he brings, he exalts, he raises, he lifts, he guards, he thunders, he judges, he gives us strength. And what was Hannah's part in all of this? Prayer and faith. That's it. So brothers, do you desire to be known as a man of great faith and prayer? Do you want people to come to you, not for your glory, but because they, they, they regard you as a man who humbles himself before the Lord and intercedes on others' behalf? I do. Like, and, and not because I'm uh, some spiritual giant, but because I'm desperate. Like that's, that should be our prayer. Like God, make us desperate for your presence. Make us desperate to know you. And God, give us, give us vision. Give us, open our eyes, lift up our heads and open our eyes and implant in us the truth of our identity, that we are in Christ, that we are holy, set apart. God, what the word says of us is true, and yet we live as if we're not your children. We live as if we are, are orphans or we're, we, we, we don't even care. God, Lord, we repent of the arrogance that we have demonstrated by our lack of prayer. I'm, I pray that for myself, God. I repent of that. Lord, I pray that whoever is listening to this, whoever needs to hear this, God, that you would do a work in their heart, that you would stir up a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that can be found in your word, that you would fill them with a desire for your word and for prayer, revelation and response, revelation and response, God. I just pray that for all these men. I pray it for my life. I pray it for my son's life. I do want to commend something to you brothers uh, before we get off here. And that is um, for my son's birthday, he turned 20 just uh, on February 7th. And so we went down the day before and celebrated with him. And uh, I had for his birthday, I gave him a journal. Like he, he doesn't really ask for anything for his birthday. <laughs> I love my son. He is a minimalist. He just like is, is cool wearing the same stuff all the time. He's like, I don't really care shoes. He wears through shoes. So we get him new shoes or whatever, but he doesn't ever ask for anything. And so I was like, what can I give him? So I spent in 2021, just wrote, uh, I bought a journal. I love to journal. I journal every single morning, which is a lot of times my prayer back to God, 
based on what I'm hearing from the word. And so I love to journal. It forces me to think, stop and think. And writing things with my hand is, uh, I found very, very therapeutic. Any guy that I talk to or that I coach when it comes to uh, like freedom from pornography, this is one of the first things I do is like, you need to get a journal. You need to start writing. You need to start like thinking through things deeply and then writing them down so that you can go back and, and read them and think about them uh, more clearly anyway. So I did this, uh, I spent 2021, I wrote in his journal a few times a week. And I essentially is a pretty thick one. Um, and I filled it halfway up. And so on his birthday, I gave it to him and I said, Hey, these are all the things that I wish I knew when I was 20 years old, like you. <laughs> that I can now share with you now that I'm 50 years old. So, um, man, do whatever you want to with this journal. I just don't ever want, like if, when I leave this earth, I don't ever want you to wonder what I thought about you. And so I wrote it all in this journal and gave it to him and I left it blank. I said, Grant, I left it blank. You can, you can use it if you want to, you can write in it, do whatever you want to, if you want to start journaling. And so that was not long ago. And I reached out to him one morning. I was driving into work. I just sent him a voice message uh, through, via text and was just encouraging him through the word, something I had read that morning. And he responded when he, when he got up that, uh, later that day and was just telling me how much he's enjoyed journaling. And it, he says that journaling has kept him accountable to be in the word. And I thought that was interesting because it, it, does for me as well. Now, now I've become addicted to that, right? So, and that's, that's where we, we want to go. We want to be addicted to our time in the word with the Lord for the purpose of knowing him and spending time with him. Uh, and so there's, there's always going to be addictions in our life. This is one that we want, and that will eventually replace any addiction to pornography. But it's interesting because, it, you know, Grant, I'm imagining is putting up the date at the top of each page that he's journaling and you want to keep the streak going. Hey, it's February the 8th. It's February the 9th. It's February the 10th. And each morning journal, journal, journal. And you, and he even said, it's kept me accountable to be in the word sometimes twice a day. And I see my faith increasing and my desire increasing. And so I just want to encourage you brothers, grab a journal, write out your prayers, these prayers are recorded for a reason in scripture <laughs> to give us a model of how to pray, what to pray. And I think to demonstrate that maybe we should write down our own prayers. So, all right, brothers, again, be on the lookout for some, um, and, I, and I'll label all these episodes that we're going to do that are, that are specifically talking about the process to uh, be free from pornography. I'll label those so that everybody's crystal clear. Again, if you have questions, uh, want me to pray for you, I would love to pray for you. Email me at spencer at naturalpornkiller.com and I will do it. All right, everybody, I'll be back later, Lord willing, with another episode.